Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Um, last week and this week, we're doing kind of a mini-series uh, called Thanksgiving in, in a Box, uh, focusing on Operation Christmas Child Ministry. Uh, last week, we talked about packing hope in a box, because literally, I think that's what we, we do uh, for people across the world, as you pack a box in Operation Christmas Child, and it is sent to a, a, a child and to their family to bring uh, hope in, into their lives. So we talked about packing hope last week. We uh, got a lesson from Uncle Si uh, about how to pack a box and how to, to pray over it. Uh, as part of his uh, video showed us maybe how not to pack a box uh, as far as some things not to put in. <clears throat> but then last week we also uh, saw several images. We saw images of happy children who have uh, received the boxes and how that uh, blesses uh, them. And uh, also, everyone that receives a, a box gets an opportunity to go through a 12-week discipleship program uh, that's called the, the Greatest Journey. Uh, to date, there's been around 1 million children uh, worldwide that have gone through that study. Around 650,000 of those have received Christ as, as their Savior. And they actually have a, a graduation uh, service for them, uh, you know, robe and everything uh, like that for them as they graduate from that program. We also regrettably saw some pictures last week that lets us know how real the need is uh, in the world for for children to be ministered to, children who just need uh, basic needs. So last week we were talking about packing hope in a box, and as we talked about that, I, I want you to not just think of it in terms of Operation Christmas Child, but, but maybe view your life as uh, something that Christ, if you're a Christian, ha- has packed hope into, and you need to share that hope with the world uh, around you, not just overseas, but, you know, in your own communities. You rub shoulders with people through, through, your, own, uh, through your own life. Um, what we're talking about this week is praying for a harvest. Praying for a harvest. The text that we're going to focus on is found in Matthew chapter 9. And Jesus is talking to his disciples about the great need that existed then and still exists now. And he was telling his disciples to to pray. The, The Bible said there in Matthew 9, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, all next month, we'll be focusing upon the reality of God becoming flesh. But in, in this text, we, we've got this picture of God himself, God's son, God in the flesh, being in this world. And, and he's going through this world, fulfilling the Father's mission. He, he's going through this world, and as he goes, he's teaching, and, and he's touching lives. And he's seeing this huge need. 
And he tells his disciples because of this great need that they need to pray. They need to pray that God would send more people to work in the harvest. What Jesus said then is still true today because you see the the harvest is still plentiful. To be honest with you, finding needed ministry is not a problem. Finding people who need ministry, that's not a problem. The the problem is finding enough people to do the ministry. There there are needs all over the world. There there are needs all through our communities. And and if we just open our eyes and, and see them, and many times we, maybe we overlook or it goes underneath our radar, and sometimes maybe God sends us wake up calls. I, I really feel like that's what he's kind of been doing for me and hopefully for our church, that we need to recognize how much more we should do in this coming year to touch lives. My, my wife was looking at the uh, news topic online uh, a few days ago, and then she brought me an article she printed off that said in Lenore there were about 100 homeless people. And in the winter months, how there's not, you know, really any place for them to, to stay. There's a place they open up, but it doesn't meet all, all the need that's there. They do have a location in Lenore where they can go and, and, and spend the night and, and be warm, but it just doesn't meet all the needs. It, it told a story of a, of a Vietnam veteran who is uh, staying in his car at night, and he's running the, the car long enough to get the heat going in the vehicle and pulling a blanket over his vents in the car to get warmth under the blanket, and then he's pulling the blanket down, turning the vehicle off, and then he goes to sleep and waits until the cold wakes him back up, and he goes through the whole process again. I mean, I read that, and I thought, I know that's Lenore, but I, I wonder how many homeless people might be in the Grand Falls area or this end of the county, and, and maybe what we need to do to try and help provide to, to meet their needs. I'm just saying there, there are plenty of needs still yet. Jesus said that the harvest was plentiful. There are plenty of people that need ministry. The problem is finding enough people to do it. And that's why today we're going to focus on praying for a harvest. And as we pray for harvest, we need to pray over the Operation Christmas Child boxes. Last week, I had you to hold one in, 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 in your lap during the invitation time and pray over it and then take it upstairs and drop it off where our collection center would be. And all this week, people have been bringing uh, boxes up there. And uh, tomorrow, those boxes will start to move out. And they'll go to other collection agencies and, and then on to where they'll be shipped across the world. So we need to pray for a harvest concerning Operation Christmas Child boxes. But we don't need just to stop there. We need to pray for missionaries. We need to pray for local ministry, for people that are involved in local ministry, and pray God provides all all the needs, all the laborers that are needed in, in the local harvest. We even need to pray for our own ministry. I mean, it's, it's almost kind of a constant thing as Daryl and, and I talk maybe about our children's ministry. We, we always need more workers in our children's ministry upstairs. And if you'll recognize how rarely kind of you see Daryl down here, uh, that ought to emphasize a point that we need more people helping upstairs. And to be honest with you, it's not healthy for him to be up there all the time because he's disconnected from us from what takes place here. That's why we need more workers here. We need to pray for more workers to be involved here in our own ministry. As we think about praying for a harvest across the world, I want us to focus on two important truths. They're simple truths, but I think they're important today as we think about praying for a harvest. Here's the first truth. Praying for a harvest involves praying for someone to do something. 
Now, that might sound overly simplified, but, but here's the deal with that, guys. I think sometimes people pray, you know, some type of mystical type prayer and, and, and praying to God and say, oh, almighty God, you do something across this world. And the reality is he wants to, but he wants to use people. He, he wants to work through our lives. So as we pray for a harvest, we need to understand we're praying for somebody to do something. And the reason for that is the, the need is very real. I mean, in the text that we read a moment ago, it, it said Jesus went throughout all the cities and, and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. When, when he observed the crowds, when he saw them, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. As he's going through this world, he, he visited the cities, but he also visited villages. And I think that might tell us there's not any place too big or too small where people don't have an authentic need, where people are, are not in need of ministry, whether it's a city or a village or a small community. There are people there that have needs that we need to try and meet for Jesus' sake. He, he said that, the Bible said that Jesus went into their synagogues and he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. Maybe we need to draw from that, that even in our places of worship, there, there are people there that have needs. You know, we'll show up at church a lot of times and somebody say, how are you? And, you know, your, your week really stunk, but what do you say to them? I'm, what, what's our response in church? I'm fine. And the truth of the matter is we're not all fine because even in, in church, even in religious places, people need ministry. And Jesus went to those places and he, and he was touching lives and, and, he, was, and he was teaching. He was healing people of, of disease and, and affliction. Jesus saw the crowds, even though he was God in the flesh and already knew about the need. He literally came here. He, he knew about it without even coming to this earth. But he came here to experience and, and see the needs firsthand as he walked through this world, performing the, the ministry that the Father had sent him to. All around us are people with physical needs and spiritual needs. The, the word that's used in, in that text for healing, interesting word in the Greek. It's a word therapeutic, which we get our English words therapy or therapeutic from. And the word literally means this. It means to wait upon meaningly. In other words, it's a similar word in the Bible that talks about being a servant to someone. But it's also used for adoring or worshiping God. So maybe think about it in these terms. As we serve Jesus and as we serve others... What we do for others is therapeutic for them. We're providing therapy for other people in their lives through their, their suffering and their pain, what they're going through as we minister to them. But it's not just that we provide therapy for them. To be honest with you, when we get engaged ourselves and trying to help other people, you know what you're going to discover? You're going to discover it's therapeutic for you, yourself. You know, a, a lot of people, I think, come to church on Sunday and they, and they leave and they live frustrated lives and they come back to church the, the next Sunday and they leave and, and they live frustrated lives and they're kind of on that merry-go-round and, and somehow they're wondering what's missing. I mean, I'm going to church, I'm praying, I'm reading my Bible and, and, and things like that. I'm even going to a small group, but what's missing? Here might very well be what's missing. You're, you're missing the therapy you need in your life because you're not serving others. Because you're not reaching out to somebody else, you're, you're, you're missing something that would be very thera therapeutic in your life if, if you would 
go and, and meet needs as Jesus sets an example for us. And doing so is an act of worship and adoration to God as, as we serve Him. Well, what should motivate us to do that? What should motivate you and I to, to meet the needs of others and to pray for the needs of others? Well, I think maybe if we see them as Jesus saw them. Because the Bible said there, when He saw the crowds, He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like, like sheep without a shepherd. The first step is for us to intentionally look and see needs that people have in their lives. A lot of times we try and avoid it, don't we? You're watching television and some of the images come up of children like I showed you last week. And what do you tend to do? Let's, let's channel surf. Let's get beyond that. Let's, let's go somewhere else. When, when we need to understand that they're, they're authentic needs, Jesus saw them, and that's, that's where it will start out with us. The, the word for saw that's used there means to see and know. It's not just a casual glance. It's not just seeing someone and, and, and saying, well, I, yeah, I saw that person. No, it's for you to look deeper, for you to see them in such a way that you try to evaluate their needs and you know what their needs are, for you to see them in such a way that it causes you to feel compassion for them, for you to look at them in such a way that you see them as sheep in need of guidance as you, uh, as you view them as someone that's harassed and, and helpless. The, the word for harass means to flay, and it's the same word used as, as flaying skin off of bones. And as Jesus walked around, he looked at the crowds, and, and he saw them as, as though they were just being beaten and the skin ripped away. They were facing trouble. They were helpless. The word that's, that's translated there as helpless gives the idea of a, of a sudden motion, to fling something with a sudden toss. As I was do, looking at that word study this week, it, it made me think of maybe when I've been looking for something that I thought was important that I needed in the moment. You've been going through your junk pile. You're trying to find something that you think you really need that's important. And in the process, you grab that and you sling it. You grab this and you sling it. You're throwing things out of the way because you're trying to find what, you're, what, what you think is important. And I'm afraid we do that with people's lives sometimes. We're focused upon what we think is important. In the process, we're kind of quickly tossing people to the side that we need to see. So, so we can have compassion upon them. The word compassion is also an interesting word. It, 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 you have to understand the, the Hebrew culture to get the meaning of it in our day and time. It says to have the, the, the bowels yearn. Um, it's similar to us saying our, our heart, you know, this day and time. They considered the, you know, the midsection deep feelings and everything like that. I, it doesn't fit in our culture. I, I don't advise you to go up to some girl guys and, and say, uh, my bowels are yearning for you. You know, I don't know if you'll get too far if, if, if you're wanting to propose or ask a girl out and say, I, my bowels are just yearning for you. I, you know, will you marry me and spend your life with me? But that's the, the idea of the way the Hebrew word was used. It's similar to our heart. And the thought is that, that we need to see people as Jesus saw them. And as we see them as Jesus saw them, and we actually know their situation and understand what they're going through, then we ought to have sympathy and pity upon them and be, be moved by compassion to, to literally do something to alleviate their suffering, to do something to minister to them at, at, their, at their point of need. 
We're talking about praying for a harvest today. We, we ought to pray for a harvest because there's a real need in the world. But because the need is so real, we, we need to pray with a prayer that's passionate, with a passionate prayer. Jesus also told his disciples this. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And because that's the situation, he, he said, I want you to really pray. I want you to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We, we jump over our English language a little words like is but when you think about it the way it's it's used here in the greek it it means an affirmation or concession of a fact so jesus is looking at all the needs around him in the world and he's conceding to the fact that hey these needs are real found out a few years ago that some cities avoid that because they don't want the uh the reputation maybe of being a city that has a lot of people that has needs or a lot of homeless people we were on a mission trip with our young people to West Palm Beach, Florida, which is a very ritzy area if you've ever been, been through there at all. I mean, just mansions all over the place. And we were sent kind of outside the city to, a, to an adjoining township to do some of the ministry that we were doing because that's where they were meeting the needs. They were not meeting the needs in West Palm Beach because West Palm Beach wanted to ignore the fact that they had homeless people there. So these homeless people had to go several blocks over to get their needs met in this area that did not mind admitting that they had those people. I'm afraid our churches can be like that sometimes. We don't want to admit that the need is real. We, we don't want to see what we need to see. We, we don't want to concede to the fact that there are people who are really suffering around us and that God really wants us to do something. Jesus said the need is, is plentiful. There's, there's a lot of need, large need, many needs all around us. And a lot of times we think, man, we just need, we need to tell everybody about Jesus. We need to get them to Jesus. They need to go to heaven when they die. But the reality many times might be this. Before they will hear the gospel, they must first of all feel the gospel or experience the gospel as the gospel and the love of Christ is conveyed from our lives to their life. James says it's not enough just to tell somebody to go and be warm, give them a coat. It's not enough just to go and tell somebody to be fed. You, you need to help provide food for them. And we need to understand there are people all around us that maybe can't hear the gospel message that we want to give them because they can't hear what we're saying for their pain and their suffering and their hunger. Jesus said the the need is real. He identifies the problem. The problem is the harvest is large, but the workers are few. He said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. It is real. It's a huge need out there, but that little word in the Greek means to the contrary or contrasting things. Even though there's a huge need, we don't have many laborers. We don't have many toilers. We don't have many workers. We don't have many, many teachers. He, he said there are few. They're puny in extent to degree or number or duration or, or value. Jesus is just saying there's, there's this huge need. And because there's this huge need, we need to pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into his harvest. Look what the word for pray means. 
Jesus said, because this need is so real, pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest will send out labors into his harvest. The word means to beg as binding yourself. Now, I'm not going to say as much about that right now, but will you kind of freeze frame that in your mind, that phrase, as binding yourself? Because I'm going to say a lot about it in a moment. But the way he tells us to pray for workers, for laborers to go out and work in his fields, in his spiritual harvest, is to pray as binding yourself, and you're making a very passionate petition. That's the way that he tells us to pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Who's that? Well, there's people argue and debate about things that sometimes it's silly to argue about. <laughs> I've, I've read that before years past because you'll have this commentator and, you know, this, this person, this theologian had this idea. And, you know, some people say, well, you know, the Lord of the harvest is the Holy Spirit. And we need to pray for the Holy Spirit to send laborers out into his harvest. Or the, the Lord of the harvest is Jesus himself. Or the Lord of the harvest is, is God the Father. Why in the world do you debate that? There's one God revealed in three persons, and whoever the Lord of the harvest is, guess what? It's God. And it's His harvest. It's not my harvest. It's not your harvest. It's His harvest. And you and I need to pray that, that people will do something. We need to pray that He will send out laborers. That, that phrase for send out, the word means this. It means to eject. It means I thought about that. You get the idea of a, of a slingshot ejecting a rock or a cannon, you know, ejecting someone at the circus or whatever. To, to eject, to cast forth, to drive out, to, to thrust out or put forth. That's what we ought to be praying for. To pray that people will get over their complacency. That God will eject us out of our worship centers, eject us out of our seats on Sunday morning to go and do something in this world to change lives, to, to meet the needs around us. We're to pray that he would send the toilers, the workers, the teachers out into, and the word into, man, it's, it's one of those other words in English we wouldn't think a lot about, but in the Greek it, it means into a point reached, and it speaks of a specific place, time, or purpose. Here's the deal with that. We're to be praying that God would eject people out into his purpose, into what his desires are, doing what he wants us to do. We need to pray that people will be like Jesus. As Jesus set the example here, that we'd be going through cities and villages and churches and we'd see people and we'd have compassion on them and we'd be meeting their needs, touching their lives and pointing them to the great shepherd. Because they're like sheep without a shepherd. But that's not all that's involved in praying for a harvest. Praying for a harvest does involve praying for somebody to do something. The second big thing I want you to get today is this. Praying for a harvest involves being someone who will do something. Being someone who will be a laborer in the field. Being someone who will make a difference. Being someone who will go as Jesus went. Being someone that's ejected out into the culture. It's not enough just to pray for a harvest. It is, it is not enough 
For us just to pray that God would send out laborers into the harvest. It's not enough to pray for someone else to do something because praying for a harvest involves being someone who will do something. Do you remember the word study? I told you to freeze frame in your mind a moment ago for pray earnestly. You remember what he said? Here's what it meant. To beg as binding yourself. You're, you're praying in such a way that you're attaching yourself to the prayer. You're attaching your abilities, your talents, your money, your time, your gifts. You're, you're attaching yourself to be the one that's going to answer the prayer. That, that God will use you. That you're going to allow God to use you to alleviate needs in people's lives. To minister to other people. You're attaching yourself because as you pray earnestly, you're begging in a way that binds yourself to the situation. See, here's really what Jesus is saying to his disciples. He didn't tell them, hey, just go pray that God will do something miraculous here and, you know, and, and pray, you know, that, that great God the Father will take care of it and, you know, you can feel so good about yourself because you prayed. What he told them is this, go pray in such a way that as you pray, it sets a burden in your heart that you cannot get away from. And you're not pleased with just praying for somebody else to do something. As you pray, you realize that you are the somebody. You, you realize that you are someone that has to do something. You need to understand that we need to do more than pray to do. We need to pray and do. Do you understand the difference? Not enough just to pray to do something. We need to pray and actually engage our lives. And do something for Christ to minister to the lives of others. Now, I'm going to do something a little bit different. Uh, and I, I'm going to let you know what I'm going to do. We're getting ready to back up to Matthew chapter 6. And I'm going to go from Matthew chapter 6 to Matthew chapter 10. And some of you just thought, well, there goes lunch. Not going to read all of it. But, but as I study this week, and, and I read our text today in Matthew 9, and then I... I started back looking at scriptures and, and the, the headings that are placed in our Bibles to tell you what happens in those verses. And I just kind of started looking back Tuesday uh, during the daytime as I was studying for this message. And I, as I look back, I, I kind of stood back and got a, like a bigger picture of the context of what Jesus is saying when he's saying pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send laborers into the harvest. And I don't know if it would be meaningful to you, but man, I, when I stood back and saw this big picture, I thought, oh. I mean, part of it was like, you know, that hurts a little bit, but the other part of it was, wow. You know, look at this big picture that, that's given us. So let me walk you through that and see if you get the same effect. Back in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus starts talking about giving to the needy, and he says, by the way, to give it in a way that doesn't draw attention to yourself. It's not about us, it's about the other person. He gives us some prayer guidelines and then gives us what we call the Lord's Prayer. And he says, you know, by the way, as you pray, don't try and stand in public and pray this great big prayer because you want people to think, my God, how wonderful he can pray. And instead, pull aside in your closet because it's not about you. He talks about fasting, and he says, as you're fasting, don't do it in such a way that, that everyone knows that you're fasting, because that's the way the, the, the Pharisees and the hypocrites would. They'd walk around looking like they were in so much pain, just dying for someone to ask, what's wrong with you? I'm fasting for God. 
Because it's not about you once again. Don't make it about you. He talks about laying up treasures in heaven. And the way we do that is by serving him and ministering to other people. It's not about us using all of our energy and all of our funds to amass stuff to ourselves. He said, don't be anxious. And the way we cannot be anxious is understand that he's the one that can meet our needs. And we need to ask him to do so as we minister also to other people. He he talks about judging others in Matthew chapter 7. And the point of the matter is there for us today may be this. Instead of us wasting our energy judging somebody, how about using that energy to minister to somebody? He said, asking it will be given. There are multitudes of people who are asking all across this world. Just maybe God wants to use us to help be the answer to the prayer. The golden rule is, treat others as you want them to treat you. So if you were to be hungry, and if you were to be suffering, if you were to be in pain, what would you want somebody else to do about it? And and you you need to do the same thing. How would you want someone to minister to you? The Bible says a, a tree is known by its fruit. In other words, it's not just what we say, it's also what we do. So if Jesus comes along and starts inspecting the fruit in your life, how would you feel about that right now? Do you feel comfortable with the amount of fruit that would be in your life? Jesus talked about building your house on the rock, not on the sand. If you remember, he equated the one that built his house on the rock to the one that heard his words. And and what, what did he do? Did them. So we, we need to do what Jesus tells us to do. The, the authority of Jesus is pointed out to us there in chapter 7, verse 28 through 29. So if he's in control, we need to let him be in control. We need to respond to his authority and listen to him and serve him and minister to others. And then from that point, I want you to notice what starts to happen. In Matthew chapter 8, he cleanses a leper. In Matthew chapter 8, he healed the centurion's servant. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus heals many. In Matthew chapter 8, he talked about the cost of following him, and yet we need to follow him anyway in Matthew chapter 8 Jesus calms a storm there are people that have storms in their lives that God can use us to help alleviate that storm Jesus heals two demon-possessed men Jesus heals a paralytic Jesus calls Matthew who by the way was a tax collector and outcast by the culture of his day because he was collecting taxes for the Roman government and yet Jesus calls him and maybe that tells us we need to invite the outcast of our culture A girl's restored to life. A woman is healed. Jesus heals two blind men. Jesus makes a man unable to speak. Heals a man that's unable to speak. Makes him able to speak. And then we get to our text today. Where Jesus is going about through the cities and seeing all the needs. And he tells them, pray in a way that binds yourself to it. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, binding yourself to it that laborers, which you're binding yourself to, would go out into the harvest. Do, do, do you get the big picture of that? There's more of the big picture that I'll finish here in a moment. But do you get it up to this point? More or less, what we've read in Matthew is it's not about you, it's about others. So don't make it about you. And then it shows Jesus. Jesus ministered, Jesus ministered, Jesus ministered, Jesus ministered, Jesus ministered, Jesus ministered. He, he's going out, doing all these things, and then he... Tells his disciples the need's great. Pray in such a way that attaches your life to going to do something. 
You get the big picture of it? Then he calls his 12 disciples. The Bible said he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and heal every disease and every affliction. Sounds like Jesus stuff going on to me in that verse. And then we find this, that Jesus sent out the 12 apostles. These 12 Jesus sent out and instructed them, go nowhere among the Gentiles or entering the towns of the Samaritans at that time. But he said, rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, say in the kingdom of heaven is at hand what Jesus had been proclaiming. He said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. In other words, I've been doing all this stuff. I've called you to me. Now you go do all this stuff. You get the big picture? You get the point of it? That's why as we pray for a harvest, it's not about just praying for somebody else to do something. It's you and I, as we pray for a harvest, binding ourselves to that prayer. Seeing the example of Jesus and understanding Jesus has called us to himself to send us out, to eject us out, to do something for him. And he goes on and he tells them this. By the way, as you go serve me and you do this stuff, persecution's going to come. Everybody's not going to be happy about it. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. He said, a disciple's not above his teacher. In other words, in that text, Jesus said, if they don't like me, they're not going to like you. He's just letting them know it's going to be difficult as you go. But he says, go anyway. You need to recognize as you... Bind yourself to the prayer that you're praying for the Lord to send people out into his harvest and you understand you're the one that needs to go and you're the one that needs to be doing something for Jesus. Recognize up front it won't be easy, but do it anyway. He also told them this, even though persecution is going to come. Next slide. He said, have no fear. Jesus said, have no fear of them, the ones that will persecute you. He said, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both body and both soul and body in hell. By the way, that is not Satan, that is God. Don't have any fear. Serve me anyway, even though you face persecution. And then Jesus told him, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. In other words, he's saying, your own family might not even like it. You need to choose me over your own family. And then he goes on to say this, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Our, our, our goal is to live our lives for him. To live his life, not just to live our own lives. And then he goes on and he, and he tells us this. There's a reward for doing all this. There's a reward for praying in such a way that you bind yourself to being one of those laborers and going, even though you face persecution and problems and, and it won't be easy, there's a reward because Jesus said, whoever gives one of these little ones even a drink of cold water because he's a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Jesus said, I'm not even going to overlook the fact that you do something as simple as give a drink of water to somebody. Whatever we feel called to do, whatever he sends us to do, as we burden our hearts and pray for a harvest and understand that burden means we have to engage ourselves to be involved in the harvest. He's going to reward us for it. And that thing of satisfaction that I talked about earlier where sometimes I think we come to church, we go, we come to church, we go, and we don't really find satisfaction. There's another story 
over in John chapter 4, the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, where you can find this, that the satisfaction is found by being someone who will do something. Because in, in that story, Jesus had won the woman at the well to himself, and she had ran into the city to tell others. And the disciples had gone away to get food, and the disciples come back with food. And it said, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. And he says to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. You understand what Jesus is saying? He's saying, I don't need the food that you went after. I'm completely satisfied right now because I have done what the Father sent me to do. I'm doing what the Father has sent me to do. And I'm just telling you, that's the way you'll find true satisfaction in your life. You to know that you're doing what the Father has sent you to do. Because he goes on and he tells the disciples, Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white to harvest right now. In other words, don't wait. In other words, just look around. Open your eyes. There are knees all over the place. There's a harvest that needs to take place right now. And that's why Jesus had told them to pray the Lord of the harvest that, that he would send laborers into the field. Real satisfaction in your life is not found in living an inward-focused life. Well, I'm not saying you can't satisfy yourself here and there and, and, you know, find something that maybe bumps you up a little bit, but I am saying that those things grow old pretty quick. You can't find true satisfaction with an inward-focused life, but you can find true satisfaction with an outward-focused life. Today we're talking about praying for a harvest. Not just praying for these Operation Christmas Child boxes, although that is something that we need to really be praying about, but we need to be praying for a harvest in such a way that we bind ourselves to the burden that we bind ourselves to do what we're praying about. That we understand we're praying, asking God to eject out laborers into his field, and he's talking about you. He wants to thrust you out into the world around you. To serve him and to make a difference in the lives of others. Inside the updates today, a couple of inserts there. One is just uh, an invite card, and by me saying it's just an invite card, that doesn't mean there's something small. There's something that you need to use. That's part of being a, a laborer in the harvest. You need to take that and give it to somebody and invite somebody to come be with us during, during our series in December. But the other insert that you'll find is, is this. It says, prayer for a harvest. Prayer God. Praying for a harvest prayer God. And since our emphasis right now has been Operation Christmas Child, there are prayer requests for every day this week starting tomorrow that have been recommended by Samaritan's Purse for you to pray about. So I want to ask you to take this and use it this week, and, and I want you to pray every day over these requests. 
But right before John comes, and he'll be coming up and start playing and, and, and doing this invitation song in just a moment. But, but as he comes, I, I want us to take a moment and bow our heads. And I want you to choose one of these. Don't care which one, you just look at one and choose one. And I want you to pray for a harvest. And as you pray, I want you also to be sensitive and see if God might not be binding your heart to do something for Him. Maybe as you pray, and, and as John does this song, maybe you need to uh, do more than just pray where you are. <clears throat> just, just maybe today, you, as you look at your own life, you might think you're not pleased. You're not very comfortable with the amount of service you've been doing for Jesus. You're not happy with the way you've ministered to others. And I would encourage you, if you don't feel comfortable where you are right now, if you, if you understand you need to do more for Jesus... In other words, you'd hate for Jesus to walk by right now and inspect all of your fruit and see there's not a lot there. And potentially right now, you've got a burden on your heart and you need to pray like we talked about. You need to pray binding yourself to do something for Him. For Him to eject you into your culture as a laborer in His field. That doesn't mean you have to go to Africa or the Middle East or Canada or Mexico or somewhere else across the world. It, it may just simply mean that you're opening up to say, God, I, I'm sorry I haven't let you been, I'm sorry I've not let, allowed you to use me at work or at school or around my friends or in the marketplace or wherever it might be. But I'll encourage you, it's, as we go through this invitation, if, if you feel the need to be more engaged, to bind yourself more to being a, a laborer in His field, then maybe slip out from where you are. Come and kneel here at the front and pray. If you're someone that feels fine with where you are, and I doubt if there's many of us that can really truly say that, but if you happen to be, maybe you need to come and just pray that God would send other laborers. And then if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you've never trusted in Him at all, we, we invite you to consider that. Would you consider accepting the greatest gift you could ever receive? Something you can be thankful for for the rest of your life. And that's free salvation that God will give you by His grace when you trust in Jesus. John sings, if you need to pray or need to come for some reason, we invite you to come and kneel. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.